and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hi there. It's good to be speaking to you all. Um, The opportunity to share God's Word with you is a real privilege. Um, We're going to be reading from Matthew again tonight, uh, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. um, And we're going to be continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, This is a good opportunity right now to find that passage while we're getting ourselves into the right frame of mind. But I actually want to start by by talking to you about the weather um, in the kind of time-honored tradition. How crazy has the weather been this week? The sky is like totally clear one moment, and then it's bucketing with rain and thunder the next. Um, at work on Monday, I was walking across the road to deal with you know some an issue that took me about ten minutes. And the sky was totally clear while I was walking over there, but on my way back, I was drenched with rain. Um, it almost felt like this week the weather couldn't make up its mind, uh, and it meant that I never knew whether I needed an umbrella or not. And when the Bible is talking about the law, it can sometimes feel a little like this. Uh, Sometimes the law seems to be the best thing in the world, uh, the greatest gift from God. But at other times, the law is the worst thing to happen to humanity. It can make it hard to know what to do in life. Like, is this law for us or, or is it not? And so perhaps you saw the thumbnail for this dream um, and the word law, and you were a little uncertain about what this evening might hold. I can't imagine that the imposing typeface and aggressive shade of purple that Lauren chose helps. Um, But I hope that tonight I can put some of those fears uh, to rest and that we can discover grace. I've always found that God's grace shows up in surprising places And in this passage, it shows up in the most surprising place. Let's read the whole passage together first, and uh, we'll move through it more slowly as we go on. So this is Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. These four verses feel right at home in that patchwork of bipolar passages about the law. Um, And I don't have time uh, or or even the answers to deal with that whole patchwork tonight. In fact, there's enough in just these verses for a month of Sundays. But hopefully we can come to see what Jesus means a little more clearly tonight. Let's start with just that very first verse. Uh, So verse 17, do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. 
I think there are two big barriers uh, to us understanding this, ver this verse. The first is, what exactly is Jesus referring to when he says the law? Uh, and secondly, what does it mean for Jesus to fulfill it? Let's start with the easier of those two problems. Uh, the law could refer to really a surprising variety of things in the mouth of Jesus. It could be um, the 613 specific commandments laid out in the first five books of the Old Testament. It could refer to the books themselves. It could refer to the 613 commandments plus the oral law surrounding them that is passed down from rabbi to rabbi. Uh, it could refer God's instruction in general. Or it could refer to the whole of the Hebrew scriptures. But if we want to know what Jesus meant by the law here, it's actually really easy. What we need to do is read the rest of the phrase. The law or the prophets. Now, all of our major Bible translations here should have uh, both law and prophets capitalized. And that should, should tip us off to something. They're capitalized because they're proper nouns. Jesus is referring to two organizational units of the Hebrew scriptures. It becomes a way for him to refer to the whole Old Testament. Jesus is saying he came to fulfill, whatever that means, all of the Hebrew scriptures, the whole thing. Okay, so on to this word fulfill. Actually, this is not the first time we run into the word fulfill in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's already shown up a number of times, and it's used in a slightly unusual way. Uh, to discover how, we could do a word study of that word through Matthew. Um, but instead, let's just take a look at the setting Jesus is in right now. The chapter begins, uh, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus has been gathering around himself a new group of God's chosen people. Uh, he goes up on a mountain, um, and there he starts telling them about the law. If you're familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, this sequence should be kind of leaping off the page at you. Uh, it's almost like we're back at Mount Sinai uh, with Moses relaying God's word to his people. And it isn't as if the story of Moses on Sinai is like a predictive prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. Um, and yet, this is exactly the way that word has been used throughout Matthew's gospel so far. The Old Testament kind of creates an archetype or a character, uh, and Jesus steps into that space and completes it. Often I think the image in our mind um, of fulfill is kind of like a cashier stapling a receipt to an invoice, or perhaps that stamp that some stores have that says, goods delivered. Um, in actuality, Jesus is doing something much closer to a sculptor finishing a sculpture. He chips away all the extra material uh, and adds all the details, leaving behind a work of art which only the outline was visible beforehand. At Sinai, the people refused to listen to God directly, so he spoke through Moses. Now, God is speaking directly to his people in the person of Jesus. The interpretation of Moses' law, and in fact, uh, the whole 
Old Testament that Jesus is about to give um, is everything the law was supposed to be. The law of Moses finds its meaning in Jesus. We aren't going to get Jesus' interpretation of the whole Old Testament this week. Uh, If you want to hear the specifics, you'll have to wait a couple of weeks um, and hear what Chris has to say. Even so, just the fact that Jesus is fulfilling Moses and the whole Hebrew scriptures should have an impact on us now. Perhaps you're reading through a story in the Old Testament, uh, say uh, David and Goliath. You might be tempted to ask yourself questions like, uh, what are the giants in my life? What are my five smooth stones? But this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. As Christians, we need to put the story through the lens of Jesus first. Only then can we ask, what is it saying to us today? With all that, all that in mind, let's read on. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice how Jesus not only expects his disciples to keep these commandments, but also to teach them. I'm sure we've all had an experience of uh, being in a class that we just did not enjoy. Uh, There's a huge number of reasons why that might have been. I know for me, one of the reasons has been I just wasn't learning anything. Um, Maybe it's like a a university class on ethics, you know, one of those compulsory ones where they spend all semester telling you that it's wrong to copy other people's work. Um, And we don't need a semester to be told that it's wrong to copy other people's work. We already know that. And so the class is just dull and empty. On the other hand, classes that we enjoy are often the ones where we're learning a lot and all the time. If Jesus expects his disciples to teach one another, then he clearly thinks that following these commandments isn't something that comes naturally to us. It isn't something we kind of understand intuitively. We need to be taught. Oftentimes we we read verses like, I will put my law within them and write it on their heart. Or, um, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And we get the impression that we should just know what the right thing to do is. And today, that's a really easy view to hold. The world is constantly telling us that if it feels good, it must be right. And I think the claim that Jesus is making is really countercultural here. Jesus envisions, envisions a process where we learn about God's will for our lives from others. Uh, and we live that way, and then we pass it on to others. In fact, this idea is baked right into the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's stop assuming that we already know right from wrong. Let's apprentice ourselves to Jesus, to the scriptures and to our brothers and sisters, 
If we concede that we don't already know how we're supposed to live, let's go to the Bible that Jesus obviously treasured and discover. Let's go to those weird passages from Leviticus uh, or from the middle of the prophets, um, and let's expect them to speak to us now and the way that we should live our lives. Perhaps we might need to seek a teacher, um, someone who's learned from these passages and lived that life already. Uh, it might mean reading commentaries or listening to podcasts or sermons. Whatever it takes, let's discover God's heart for our lives and act it out. This passage isn't over yet. At the beginning, I promised grace, so here we go. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I said it would come from the most surprising place, and here we are. But, okay, what? Our righteousness far surpasses the Pharisees? If there was anyone that you would call righteous, it was the Pharisees. Credit where credit is due, they put a lot of time and energy into making themselves right with God. Like, a lot. Yet apparently it's still not enough. How are we supposed to be better than them? The secret is that our righteousness, our position before God, actually doesn't depend on what we do or how well we follow these commandments. Look closely at verse 19. Whether you're living by these commandments or not, these people are still in the kingdom. For those people in God's kingdom, the way they live is really important, but it isn't the boundary. People who are really struggling are on the inside, right alongside people who are succeeding. Yet for those outside trying to get out, get in, the bar is set impossibly high. I was uh, making a bowl of porridge for myself a few weeks ago. I decided that what it needed was an apricot on top. Uh, so I took one from the fruit bowl and I cut it in half. Um, but when I did so, I was horrified to discover there was some kind of mold inside my apricot. If the mold had been on the outside, I might have been able to kind of wash it off or maybe cut it off with a knife or something. But inside, I just felt like I had to throw this apricot away uh, and use some other kind of fruit. Jesus knows that no amount of rule following will be enough for us. We can scrub away at our lives, we can cut off every piece of sin, but we can't deal with the issues that run deep. Jesus will say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. The Pharisees were obsessed with righteousness, but it only ran skin deep. What Jesus did for us starts right at the very center of who we are, sometimes so deep that it doesn't it doesn't shape the surface at all. But slowly, surely, it begins to mold us. A figure like Jesus starts to emerge. A chunk of stone falls away here and Jesus' love of his enemies appears. Another chip and suddenly Jesus' emotion, uh, devotion to prayer comes into relief. A tap of the chisel and we are etched with Jesus' humility. 
The teachings of Jesus reveal the meaning of the Hebrew scriptures and they guide us as we live our lives in the kingdom. But it's grace that brings us into that kingdom in the first place. So right now, there's going to be an opportunity to spend some time just between you and Jesus. You might want to take this opportunity to really commit to living out what Jesus is about to teach us over the coming weeks. Um, We're going to get stuck right into the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has some really challenging things to say. I know I'm going to be challenged, and probably everyone here will as well. And perhaps you already know what God is challenging you on. Decide that now is the moment when you want to work on that thing with him. Perhaps you don't know what God is wanting to work on. Maybe this might be a moment to to open up the scriptures and find out, find out what God has in store for your life and maybe get people alongside you to do that with. So we're going to take some time in prayer, just one-on-one with God. Thanks, guys. Mm.